Welcome into Muskies Talk. Today is April 6, 2023, and I'm your host, John Baldridge, joined by my co-host, Alex Spearnett, and this is presented by the Xavier Newswire. A lot to come on the show this afternoon as we'll take a look at the Xavier Musketeers as the season came to an end for loss in the Sweet 16 to the Texas Longhorns. We'll also take a look at the Cincinnati Reds as they have started fairly well this season, a record of 3-2 and two at this moment. We'll take a look at their upcoming matchup this weekend at the Philadelphia Phillies. And we'll take a look at the Cincinnati Bengals as they added some more key impactful players in the free agency. Alex, welcome back to the show. It's been a couple weeks since we've been on the air. How you doing, Alex? And uh, those Musketeers, not the way we wanted the season to end. Yeah, it definitely wasn't uh, an unfortunate loss there in the Sweet 16 to the Texas Longhorns, who completely dominated that game from start to finish. Uh, a game where Xavier never actually led. But there's a lot of positives to look at in the season that Xavier had. Uh, they certainly got back on the tracks as Sean Miller was wanting them to do. Hey, a Sweet 16, absolutely great season. And we should probably take a moment to talk about how well the Big East did as a whole in March Madness, going 12-4, and the best of any conference in the dance. Uh, mm -hmm. Simply a remarkable season with UConn. Uh, winning the thing. Winning the whole thing, just a dominating season for them. They didn't lose to anybody outside of the Big East Conference the entire season, and Xavier was the only team that they were not able to beat this entire season. So that's a pretty uh, stellar accomplishment for them and for the conference as a whole. Yeah, it was a great run by the teams in the Big East, and it shows just how dominant this conference is. For the Musketeers, you were not sure what the team was going to look like going into this season, getting Sean Miller in here, and they really put a good run together. I mean, the way they were able to build this roster, find their death, have so many key leader guys, upperclassmen, stepped up and played so well. It's unfortunate the way the season ended, but it was sure a good run when it lasted. Yeah, and I think that you really have to look at this from the perspective that nobody on the team – uh, outside of really Sule Boom, uh, they weren't really the guys that Sean Miller selected because he inherited this team uh, basically in its entirety from the mm -hmm. Coach Steele staff, uh, staff from a year ago. Uh, and, you know, that's not always the easiest thing to work with uh, when you don't have your guys there. But to have a great season, uh, finish second in the Big East, runner-up in the Big East tournament, and make it to the Sweet 16. I think that's a great accomplishment for Sean Miller and his staff, and it's only going to be a building block for the years to come. Yeah, and it's ex it's exciting because you see, as the season ended, Xavier lost some of those guys that were built around Travis Steele's team, and they're bringing in some of these high-ranked recruits, uh, three, four stars. They're going to go out, and they already landed another guy in the, in the transfer portal, and they'll hopefully get some more as we get into more later on in the offseason. But just the way you look at this team going into that final game against Texas, you lose by 12. It was a heyday out there for Christian Bishop. He had a really good game for the Longhorns, and it just wasn't the way you knew Jack Nungie was going to have to step up big. You knew Sule Boom was going to have to knock down a lot of shots. That half-court shot at the end of the first half really put a dagger into Xavier's hearts, and the second half was really dominated by the Longhorns. Just not the way you wanted to end the season. Your takeaways from that Sweet 16 matchup, and what did the Musketeers do wrong in that one? Well, it was just a game where offensively they could never get anything going. And in the first half especially, Texas was making everything. Uh, it was just a completely dominant offensive performance. 
they looked like the best team in the tournament during that stretch. Uh, eventually they fell in the next round to San Diego State, uh, which was a bit of a surprise to me because I really thought that Texas was going to win the whole thing. But, uh, you know, it just wasn't the Musketeers' day. Uh, they, in the end, didn't have enough players. They really ended up missing Zach Freeman all offensively in that game against Texas. But it's about all you could have asked out of this group, in my opinion. Uh, I kind of always thought that their ceiling was an Elite Eight. Uh, they didn't quite get there. But, you know, Sweet 16, we mentioned it. Uh, great, great season. They ended up losing a few pieces, mm-hmm. uh, as we've... We'll yep. mention here, uh, you know, obviously after the season ends, you always in this modern era of college basketball lose some guys to the transfer portal, uh, the draft, and so on. Uh, were there any surprises for you, John, uh, with the transfer portal so far? For me, I'll be interested to see what happens with Zach Fremantle if he comes back. The big three, Jerome Hunter, uh, Jack Nungy, you kind of knew Colby Jones if he was – Going to go pro or not, but he decides to. He's the other question mark. He's gone. I was not as shocked to see what happened with Cam, uh, Cam Craft and Desmond Claude coming back as freshmen. I thought they just didn't get enough playing time at the beginning of the season to have a chance to say we don't want to be here in the transfer portal or for, or for uh, Desmond Claude's sake to decide to go pro. I don't think he's ready yet. But to see Kiki Tandy leave, also with uh, Cesar Edwards, Elijah Tucker, and the other one, Dante Miles, wasn't a surprise they left at all. Were you surprised we lost those four guys, also Colby Jones? And what do you, th- what do you think happens with these big three and Hunter, Fremantle, and Nunji? Yeah, it felt like the four uh, transfers that you mentioned, uh, Elijah Tucker, Cesar Edwards, Kiki Tandy, uh, Deontay Miles. and Deontay Miles, it just didn't feel like those guys were able to compete uh, and contribute to the to this team, especially uh, at the high D1 level. They'll find their footing somewhere else where they'll be able to make more significant tr- contributions and have a more successful college career. So you obviously wish them the best, but I just don't think it was ever going to really work out for those guys with this team. Uh, and then you go over to Colby Jones. I completely get it. Uh, I saw this move coming a mile away. He had to go to the NBA draft, Uh, you know, junior season. You can't go another year in college, uh, especially with how good of a season he had this year. It's only going to hurt your draft stock at that point, the older that you get. So I completely understand the move. He goes to chase that bag. Uh, Mm. You know, it's what you got to do, and I completely understand it. Uh, And then, you know, Sean Miller and his staff will have to make the moves in the transfer portal and – They've got a stellar freshman class coming in to fill in the gaps. Uh, but you're obviously excited to have guys back. Hopefully, uh, the news that I've been hearing is that it's looking good for Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle to come back. Uh, and then, obviously, Desmond Claude's looking like he's in a for-sure comeback. Getting back to those four transfers, I thought the one who really impressed me early on was Kiki Tandy. And not this year, but as a freshman. It wasn't a great Xavier team they had when he was a freshman here. I felt like he was a guy that might build and adapt around Travis Steele. And then Steele left. He got injured. Steele's last year here never really played. That really hurt his stock as being a musketeer, and he's going to move on. I believe that's Jacksonville State he's going to. Um, But to lose those four guys wasn't a surprise, especially with the freshmen they have come in. And we've talked about and Reed Charme, Trey Green, and Dalen Swain, who will be three really good players next year to this roster. And hopefully you get back some guys 
that we mentioned, Fremantle and Hunter in the front court will help. Do you think Jack Nunji comes back? He's 24 years old. I mean, yes, we're talking about a guy that if he leaves, he's going to go into the working world. But at the same time, you know, guys want to get out of college at some point. They've been here a long time. He's married. Um, do you feel like it's time for him to say quits, or does he give it one more run with the Musketeers and Sean Miller next year? I would say for Jack, there is just no chance that he's going to be coming back. And why would you say that, right? I mean, you don't want to go work. I mean, no one wants to just go in the working world, but is it just because you think he's tired of college and he's ready to pursue something else in the business industry? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Jack Nunji could go play wherever he wants overseas, I believe. Uh, he's had a stellar college career, uh, you know, making Big East first team, I believe. Uh, in his time here at Xavier, he can go play basketball if he would like. But, you know, some people just have a calling to do something else. And I just think it's the time in his life where he's married. Maybe he wants to start a family, whatever. You, you know, when you, you start to get to the point where you're 25 years old, you realize, well, maybe I shouldn't be in college anymore. Yeah, I mean, he's making some NIL money, though. Yeah, but he could be making a lot more pursuing other avenues. He came here to get his – he stayed an extra year to get his MBA, which I believe he did do. So I just think that he doesn't have much left in the tank to give to Xavier specifically, and I expect him to move on. All the best to Jack. And we talked about Jack. I mean, he looked tired, especially at the end of the season. That last game he did have 15 points against Texas, but their inside killed him. I mean, I know Tyrese Hunter had 19 in that game. Bishop with 18, nine rebounds. He just looked like he was beat down without Zach Fremantle down in the front court for the Musketeers as the season went on. Yeah, and I guess that's just some tired legs for him, you know, being a vet. Uh, but, I, you know, he showed flashes of athleticism even in the tournament, going up to catch alley-oops in that game against Pitt. You know, he had a great tournament and a great season, and you can't ask for much more out of a guy like Nunji who – you know, put it all on the floor, left his heart out there. Love to see it out of Mr. Nunji. You said for sure you thought Colby Jones was going to the NBA. It was a question to me. Maybe he thought – I thought maybe he could give one more year to the Musketeers. I mean, he had a pretty good season. By my standards, it wasn't great. But I know his draft stock is high being a second-round pick. Why are you so for sure you thought he was going to be gone? Well, when you look at the NBA draft class this year as a whole, it's – not as talented as previous years. So when you have a guy like Colby Jones, who obviously I believe does have the NBA talent, but maybe in a stellar draft class he would go undrafted, then uh, you know, it wouldn't make as much sense for him to leave. But uh, in this season, I believe it was the chance it was the best time for him to go. I knew at the beginning of the year if he had a remotely good season, then he would be out of here. Uh, but you know, when you have the chance to go make millions of dollars and play in the NBA, you're going to do that over uh, going back to school. People said a lot this tournament. It was the underdogs and the surprises. And here are the final four. We had FAU, San Diego State there. UConn was there. But, I mean, you had a lot of teams in the tournament as a whole that were just underdogs beating the, the big powerhouses you saw go down in the Blue Bloods. Uh, for your take as a tournament, what did you think about it? And then that final four, it was kind of interesting to see who we had left. Uh, UConn wins it all to help the Big East, but your take on the tournament as a whole, Alex? Well, it was a brutal year for the favorites. Uh, obviously, Purdue getting bounced in that first round uh, to FDU. It was a crazy tournament. Uh, 
you know, you had Kansas, who was my pick to win it all. They go down in the second round. It was just a year that you didn't expect for that to happen. You know, you had the entire, all the number one seeds gone by the Elite Eight, which has never happened before. And then I feel like by the time you got to the Final Four, and even the Elite Eight for that matter, it just felt weird. Uh, you know, you love all the upsets early because, you know, you love chaos and March Madness and all that. But then when you get to the Final Four, you're like, oh, you know, it, it would be kind of nice to see Duke play North Carolina right now instead of FAU playing San Diego State. But I mean, was- nobody wants to see no offense to Miami, but nobody cares about Jim Laranaga being there. I mean, they want to see Calipari. They want to see the uh, Bill Self. They want to see the Blue Bloods. UConn's a good team, and Dan Hurley, they blew everybody out in the tournament. But as you're saying, I mean, sometimes when you have, like last year, North Carolina and Duke in the Final Four, it just brings a little more excitement into college basketball and not as many of those surprises being there in the Final Four. Yes, you want a surprise, but you don't want a Final Four I felt like we had this year where it was just teams that I had no interest. I I fell asleep during the game on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, they certainly weren't the most exciting matchups, but hey, I mean, they the first Final Four game in that window, it was Miami versus mm-hmm. FAU, or not, uh, San Diego State versus FAU. Yeah. That was a great game. Came down to a buzzer beater, one of the greatest moments in Final Four history there. Uh, you know, two teams that nobody picked to be in the Final Four, I'm sure, but it was a great shot, and you have to acknowledge that. But then another topic I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, we mentioned UConn. Is it time to put them in the upper echelon of Blue Bloods? I mean, they've won five national championships in the last 25 years. The only team that can say that uh, in college basketball, I think that it is time to put them up there with the Dukes, with the Kentuckys, and with the North Carolinas because they are right there. Well, they've been there just like their women's team has been there year in and year out. And, you know, we talked about Indiana early on in the season, and you said they're not the – the Blue Bloods, they're that uh, outside, maybe in kind of the Blue Blood territory, Alex. Yeah, Indiana, I called them, I remember right before our game, the fraudulent Blue Bloods. I think you could put UConn maybe just a little closer to Blue Bloods, but kind of on that fraudulent territory still. Uh, I think that you have to put UConn. It goes Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, UConn, I think, then Kentucky. Well, you're going to be hating the the BBN right now is going crazy out there. Any Kentucky fan would I mean, hate that. I don't Kentucky they really haven't done as much as UConn. They can say what they want, but mm-hmm. they really haven't. Uh the only thing the only knock you could have on UConn is they quite literally either win the national championship or they lose in the round of 64. And there's not a whole lot in between there, but five championships in the last 25 years. That's incredible. You have to put them up there. Uh, and then also Villanova on that list for me. They've had an incredible uh, 10 years here, so they have to be up there too. But, yeah, you know, Blue Bloods are always changing in college basketball, that's for sure. Well, if they can continue to do it on a consistent level, no no doubt they're going to be one of the best teams year in and year out in college basketball. And with Dan Hurley at the helm, uh, he's a you might not like his coaching philosophy, but man, that guy is tough, and that man can win basketball games. And with 
the way that Big East is even getting tougher with some of the coaches coming in and the coaching changes that been made in the Big East recently, that conference next year is going to be a war to win. Yeah, especially just with all the head coaching changes and drama, let alone that's happened, particularly between Providence and Georgetown, mm-hmm. with Ed Cooley moving on. I never saw that coming. It is just going to be an all-out battle next year. I can't wait for it. You know, the only teams that aren't seeming like it's going to be a competitive season, you know, not a whole lot to look forward to, Butler's lost their entire team in the transfer portal uh, from what I've seen, which, you know, they didn't have a whole lot of talent there to begin with. But to lose your entire team is going to be quite the challenge for Thad Mata Mm -hmm. uh, to overcome. And then DePaul, uh, you know, they've – it would be nice if they could contribute to this conference one year. <laughs> I was looking at, yeah. uh, you know, UConn obviously for winning the national championship. They get a ginormous stipend of money from the NCAA, which is that the, you know they get a certain percent because they won. But then the rest is evenly distributed between the eleven teams in the Big East, and you have to wonder. I'm not going to say too much because Xavier hasn't done anything the last four years, but they've made some contributions uh, in their time in this conference. But what has DePaul done? Mm-hmm. Can I'm, they get it going? Yeah, I mean, just getting back to Butler, Mata, who used to coach here. I mean, I don't know what's happened at Butler. And same thing with DePaul. But they need to turn it around fast because they're not going to win this conference. This conference is too tough. It's ran on good coaches. You've seen Bettino in there now we spoke about on our last show. For Ed Cooley, I mean, Cooley, when he went to Georgetown, he talked about how – talking to his old team, Providence, saying, you know, I'm one of you all, but you're not one of them. That was his exact words. I mean, how can he be one of them if he's moving on to a team in his conference? For my example, that would be like, and we talked about this before off the air, that would be like Mike Tomlin saying, you know, I'm leaving the Steelers, they stink, and here I'm going to go to the Bengals. I mean, I don't understand how you could leave your own conference, your own division, and say, I'm going to go coach another school. That'd be like Coach Cal saying, I'm going to go coach Florida. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, I I still can't really believe it happened. Ed Cooley being such a quote-unquote Providence guy said it was his home. I just don't know, especially with the point where he's at in his career, how he could leave a place like that. You know, they had a good year this year, really. Uh, Stayed in the top 25 for most of it. And they've had successful seasons uh, going back last year. They won the Big East. And it's just tough to imagine what is going through Providence Friars fans' head, heads uh, for something like that to happen. You know, they had their hearts broken right in front of them. But, you know, maybe better things are to come for Providence. New coach gets a new time in the spotlight. Maybe he can bring that program up to the next level. In the next year, Xavier team. Andy Cohen comes back, the associate head coach. You'll have the whole coaching staff back. They did a great job this year, I felt like. Sean Miller, uh, the way that team was built around Andy Cutler, the string coach who was always felt like had a dominant force on getting these guys prepared and ready for games. No matter who's on this roster, you had the three freshmen. Hopefully you get all those three guys back, and Hunter and maybe Nunji, Fremantle. Uh, but to have guys have leadership from the coaching staff the way the Musketeers do has to mean huge effect for this team and going forward. Yeah, I mean, the coaching staff is really everything uh, when you talk about it in terms of recruiting the players to Xavier. 
Uh, you talk about a guy like Andy Cohen, who's one of the premier recruiters in college basketball. Mm-hmm. You hear that he turned down Buffalo uh, Buffalo's head coaching job. That's great. You know, it shows his commitment to the staff, and it really keeps Xavier in a in a good position until you know Sean Miller is able to find somebody to replace him. Because you know, eventually, a guy like that seems like he's going to get his opportunity uh, at a higher at a higher level position, uh, whether that be head coach. Uh, somewhere else but to be able to recruit guys especially Andy Cohen he's Mm -hmm. an international recruiter that's kind of his specialty and that's something that Xavier hasn't done in a while and I'm looking forward to seeing the type of guys that they would be able to get from places like Australia from places like France you know players that have experience outside of the AAU realm in the United States which I think has really softened up college basketball. And when Jonas Hayes left to take the Georgia State job, took Jawan Odom before the season last year, it wasn't. It didn't feel like to us that uh, Deontay Jackson was built ready enough to take that associate head coaching job. He did. He stuck stuck around on the coaching staff. He played under Sean Miller. He's the third guy on that bench. And if Andy Cohen leaves, I feel like Dante Jackson has the ability to step up into that role. At some point, it's not Andy Cohen isn't leaving this year, but Deontay Jackson, Andy Cohen, Sean Miller to go out and to add a guy like Sule Boom after Jawan Odom left shows that these guys can go out and do that. They already got the guy who was the Moeller grad um, that went to Indiana last year, added him. And um, to be able to go out and be add some more guys, they've been looking at some Arizona uh, transfer portal guys that might make our way here the freshmen they're going to bring in next year. There's a lot of promise, though, going into this roster next year, Alex, with another good season they put together this year and to even have a guy back, Sean Miller, for his second season to finally have a whole year to build a roster around and set a team ready to roll. It's going to be exciting in the Centaur Center next season. Yeah, and it's going to be an interesting year in terms of being a Xavier fan because you're so used to having teams that have so much senior and junior leadership uh, and there's still going to be a little bit of that with guys like Zach Fremantle potentially coming back uh, and Jerome Hunter. But it's going to be largely dependent on how, on how these freshmen are able to turn out uh, in the development of Desmond Quad, really. They're going to need him to take a big step up in the offseason and be one of the premier leaders in this uh, on this team and in the Big East if they want to have a lot of success. Alex, I just talked about it. Logan Duncombe went to high school with you at Moeller, same grade. He played at Indiana. He'll come here now. Played behind Trace Jackson Davis last year. Trace Jackson Davis came in here in November and had an outstanding game. Went to the NBA. What do you expect to see from Duncombe as he comes a Musketeer? Yeah, Logan Duncombe was a player uh, top 60, I believe, or maybe he was 66th in the country coming out of high school. High four-star recruit. Uh, Xavier was actually interested in recruiting him out of high school, uh, you know, but that obviously didn't work out. Uh, his time at Indiana was seemed like it was a little bit funky. I didn't exactly follow it all the way, but obviously playing behind Trace Jackson Davis, you know, you're not going to get a ton of playing time when you have one of the premier players in all of the sport in front of you. But in, in high school, he was uh, a very dependable big guy. Uh, a guy who could score around the rim, had a real soft touch. Uh, he even started to develop a bit of a mid-range shot. Uh, he was always real dependable from the free throw line. But he's going to be a little bit of a project for Xavier, I would say. Uh, I think it would be appropriate to slot him in as a replacement for Cesar Edwards. 
a guy who might be coming off the bench this year, could work himself into a starter role. We'll just have to see how he develops. Uh, I would assume that he's going to need to get a little bit stronger to be able to compete in this conference. But, you know, with a 6'10 frame, development with the proper coaching staff, uh, I think the ceiling is great for him. And I'm really excited for him to get over the Xavier and we'll get to see him play. Alex, we've got to get you out of here in a second. Two more questions for you before we get over to the Reds and I'll finish it up there. Uh, first off, the Bengals real fast add Herb Smith Jr., the tight end. They've, you know, they'd only had Devin Asiasi on the roster after losing Hayden Hurst to the Panthers. Yes, Drew Sample's still out there. Mitch Wilcox is still out there. But what do you expect to see from the former Viking and Herb Smith Jr.? And how can he add to a team that's already pretty stacked? They got Terrell Basham today also, who, played, who was at the Titans last year, a linebacker. A team that's been adding to some spots they were pretty much loaded at, but to be able to add some more guys on, uh, talk about those two ads you think uh, yeah. for the Bengals. I mean, tight end was definitely one of the biggest needs in free agency this offseason for the Bengals. Uh, they were looking at a lot of guys and a lot of the deals just didn't work out or they were for too much money than the Bengals were willing to pay. But you look at this contract for Irv Smith Jr. He's a guy who was a high high draft pick. Uh, he's just kind of had a injury-riddled career thus far in the NFL, but his talent is definitely there. And the Bengals got him on an absolute bargain. Uh, I believe it was under $2 million mm -hmm. uh, for this season, obviously with some incentives built in there for him to make more. But this is definitely a prove-it contract for Irv Smith, which has happened. You know, you see what the contracts that C.J. Uzama, he got. You see what Hayden Hurst got. Tight ends are looking to come here and prove it with Joe Burrow as a launch pad to go somewhere else. And, you know, I'll certainly take that. Irv Smith will be able to help uh, tight end that the Bengals will probably be drafting this year in the NFL draft to develop a veteran guy who will be able to guide a young <clears throat> a rookie but I'm really excited about the signing yeah and you just mentioned it the Bengals with Uzama Burroughs rookie year and then be able to go get Her Hayden Hurst last year who went to the Panthers in the offseason and this year to bring in Irv Smith Jr. and free agency who will be another key add to this roster already loaded wide receiver core to be have a experienced tight end for Joe Burrow and then they'll go out in the draft and there's a couple spots you need to fix. Yes, you want to go get a young tight end. Maybe it's Michael Mayer. Maybe you go out and get a safety. Yes, you got Nick Scott from the Rams. But to be able to add to a loaded roster already, it's not as tough a schedule next year for the Bengals, but they'll put together some key ads of this roster and keep building. They went out and got Terrell Basham today who played the Titans, the Cowboys, a linebacker to add back to with Logan Wilson back there. They went and re-signed Jermaine Pratt. They have Akeem Davis-Gaither at linebacker. A very loaded defense, a young but good offense with the leader at Joe Burrow. You'll have Joe Mixon. We'll see what happens with him if they want to shorten his contract down or they want to cut him or if he, they're just going to stick with him back there at, at halfback. But we'll see what happens. And it's going to be exciting for this team as the season gets closer and closer to September. And here we go with training camp starting in July. Alex had to head out. I was going to mention to him before he left, we're going to have a little change in the show coming up. We will still have a show with you every week till the end of the semester. So that'd be the first week of May. 
But up until then, we'll have a show every week. I don't know if Alex will be joining us. He's a little busy with his schedule. But I'll still be here on the air with you. We'll get into the Reds. We'll get into that in a second, too, as their season has started fairly well. Fairly well so far as they sit 3-2 and two right now. And this team, going an opening day, you weren't sure how the roster was going to look. You knew, well, the pitching would be all right. We were told the pitching was going to be all right. The hitting, not so much. And up until this point right now, the team 3-2 and two after losing did not have a game on Wednesday due to a rainout but took one of two against Chicago, won two of three against Pittsburgh, take on a Phillies team this weekend for Phillies opening day today. They'll play on Saturday, get the day off tomorrow, and play on Sunday. But this team, we were told the pitching was going to be good. And yes, one, two, three has looked solid with Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, and Graham Ashcraft. But you have worried about four and five with Connor Overton and Luis Sessa. And we saw that on Tuesday night. A Reds team that was up 3-1 to one in the top of the sixth with one out took out Luis Sessa, who's been known in his career. Yes, he's had about 40 starts in Major League Baseball, but known throughout his career as a relief pitcher, is the fifth starter on this Reds roster, was given the ball, only 80 pitches in. David Bell reaches for the right-hander, gets, puts his finger out there towards the bullpen, gives Sessa the hook, and we know the story. Reds lose 11-3, trying to get 11 out through that ball game. The bullpen was unable to do it. And as we've been told, same thing on Monday night. The bullpen had to go eight outs in that ball game. It's been a struggle with tired arms in the bullpen. And when we get to July and August, and if those arms continue to be used the way they are used right now, you have to be worried how long this Reds team can last with a bullpen that is tired out there. And taking guys out, David Bell, I'm thinking maybe you give him one more two more outs to see if Luis Sessa can work out, a, work out of a jam. There was a runner on with one out in the six, only 80 pitches in, given the hook, and the bullpen unable to do it. And the bullpen has looked good up until that day. Their ERA in the threes against an opponent batting average, but a struggle on Tuesday, and we'll see what happens as the Reds hit the road for the first time this year. It's a tough road schedule coming up. They got Philly, they'll have Atlanta, some very tough road games in April, and to see how this team can play out, and we've talked about it. I've talked about Alex, I've talked about it when we've had guests on this show, I've talked about it to you. Can the Reds be able, as a team, continue to get enough runs. And the runs have been there with Jason Vossler hitting homers. Kevin Newman's looked very good out at shortstop. Yes, Jose Barrero hasn't played the way you've wanted to. Same thing with Will Benson, who was a late add to that 26-man roster. But this team as a whole has looked pretty decent without Joey Votto, without Nick Senzel, some of the key guys in the lineup who've been down in AAA on rehab assignments. Tyler Stevenson's looked well. Jonathan India's looked well. And some of these guys you weren't sure about, like just like Vossler, has came out and played very well in the first, yes, very short, only been about a week of games, but have looked solid. And we'll see what happens as the team hits the road today and set for a, bit, a big three-game series as the Phillies get their NL Central banner at Citizens Bank Park out there. It's going to be an exciting sellout crowd in Philly for a 4 o'clock game today. But I'm looking forward to this team right now. 
And yes, there's promises. And yes, people on the call-in show on 700 WLW talking about how this team, you got to buy in right now and give it some time. We'll see what happens. We'll see how it plays out. There's still a long, toll, long season ahead. But right now, there's some promising points. But they got to find a way to have these pitchers. And David Bell's been a guy to give a short hook. Maybe give a little longer hook out there so the bullpen doesn't have to go so many outs in a game and you have so many tired arms going into July, August, and September later on in the season. But it's promising to know that in the summer, we got something to look forward to. FC Cincinnati's playing very well right now. Still haven't lost a game. They're in action back on Saturday. They're looking very good with another great year under Pat Noon. And as head coach, Chris Albright has put together a great team for the FC Cincinnati since coming down from Philadelphia with the Union and exciting things over at TQL Stadium. That's going to wrap it up for today's show. We want to thank Alex Burnett for his contribution to the show, and we want to thank you out there. It's been a long Xavier Musketeers basketball season, an unfortunate end. We're close to winning the whole thing, got to the Sweet 16, a good tournament run, won games in Greensboro, North Carolina in the first weekend, unable to get it done out in Kansas City, but a team that, under Sean Miller's first year back, put together a very good regular season and a solid postseason. And we hope for good things to come with the Musketeers, good things to come for our Cincinnati sports teams, and we'll keep you locked in and informed right here on the Xavier Newswire on Muskie's Talk. This is going to wrap it up for our show on this Thursday afternoon. We thank you for listening. I'm John Baldridge signing off. Everyone have a pleasant afternoon, and we'll talk to you again next week. Take care, everybody. <laughs>